Besides going through Honest Advent daily during this Advent season, we have also used the Carmelite themes of Advent on Sunday mornings to add another flavor to this season. This morning, that focuses on birthing. This is a fantastic theme for a season that is focused on waiting. By this time in the nativity story, Mary is due to give birth to Jesus. As a child, I felt this sense of wonder and accomplishment that came with this Christmas season. This was God incarnate, here on earth, mission accomplished, done and dusted. And the, and the way that Christmas is situated right at the end of the calendar year, it does set us up for a sense that this is the climax of the story here on earth. But we all know that giving birth is not the end. It's just a milestone or a gateway to the rest of the story. It is the end of pregnancy, but there is now an infant that is entirely dependent on you to live. We can see this same truth in a lot of things that we experience in life. For instance, in our educational environment, we have the milestones of completing a year of schooling and being promoted to the next grade. But I remember as a child feeling like, wow, there is just always another grade. And graduation from high school is a big deal, but then there are further choices of continuing education or learning a skill. And when that is done, we are challenged to find jobs within our skill set or our educational focus. In current events, we are just now witnessing a birthing too in the vaccines for COVID-19 being approved. But the arrival of the vaccines is not the end of the story either, as we can now see. There's now a needed plan to make choices and prioritize to roll out and get folks vaccinated in order to arrest this virus and diminish the death rate and get our lives back to normal. So how does this relate to us personally right now? Is there something you feel <clears throat> that you are carrying that you have not yet birthed? Or perhaps you feel the pains of labor or have you given birth to something and you are now in the throes of bringing it to a place where you see it being accomplished? Take time in the season to consider what might be coming forth from you. Nurture that dream, that hope, that desire for new things. And recognize that when that is birthed, that will really only be the beginning of the glorious and excruciating, and the wonder-filled process that comes from new beginnings, new things. The birth of Jesus is an extraordinary part of the story of God incarnate, Jesus here on earth. But let's remember that it took 30 years for the fullness of his ministry to rise up, and even more years for it to be completed. I want to bless you with the peace and patience to wait for all that is to come in the fullness of time. Bless you.
Hi, good morning. Um, I'm happy to be able to light the last Advent candle. So if you have your candles, please join in along with me. Uh, we already have the first three lit. Uh, they represented waiting, accepting and journeying. And as Eden and, uh, has mentioned, today's theme is birthing. Um, you may know going back uh, over the years, I've loved it when I've done the announcements at church uh, to actually announce the birth of uh, a child. It's probably my favourite announcement to give. So to be able to do this one this morning is an absolute joy to announce the birth of Jesus. Um, so yeah, we're going to go ahead and light that Advent candle now. <laughs> May the doorway to Advent wonder be opened by the shocking biology of it all. Bless mm. you guys. Am I unmuted? All right, good morning. Um, this morning I am reading from chapter 21 called Breaking. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14. I remember when my daughter Elsa, named before the Disney movie Frozen, came out of her mama. I was standing next to my wife when it happened. Two years earlier, our first son, Anders, was born Frank Breach, meaning he was head up instead of head down, and one leg was doing a high kick while the other one pointed toward the exit. This in utero twister move made his birth a mandatory candidate for a C-section. Elsa was healthy and head down, which made her a perfect candidate for a VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean. The labor was slow and long and we visited the hospital a few times only to be asked to go home and wait until my wife was fully dilated. When we were finally admitted for the birth, Holly had been in labor for a couple of years and was completely exhausted. I remember being in the delivery room. I was holding my wife's hand and her right leg while the doctor called out the play-by-play. -play. The head crowned, it was time for the last push. Push, the doctor called out, and my wife breathed through the pain. Elsa came out into the hands of the doctor, and we saw her for the first time. Then we looked at each other and instantly burst into tears. I remember the action being involuntary, as if I had witnessed something that could only be expressed in the breaking of my socially conformed demeanor. It was one of the most wonderful experiences I've had in my life. To finally see what you've hoped for for so long is a breaking experience. It's a healing breaking, like cracking your back or hearing a sad song that breaks your heart in solidarity or witnessing a sappy commercial that somehow tickles your emotions and then you apologize to your friends on the couch for getting teary-eyed over it. We get emotional because we are witnessing something true not true as in an ideological list we use to draw lines and make teams, but something true that unites us. A moment of solidarity, a connective happening that awakens us to see that we are not alone. Like when a group of strangers is unanimously filled with joy as they watch fireworks together. Or when someone shares a tasty dish with someone else and says, you must try this, it's so good. 
or when a newborn baby enters the room and everyone turns and looks because they know they are witnessing the magic of someone seen who just came from the unseen. I wonder what broke in the room with Mary and Joseph, probably tear ducts, because that happens to parents. But it, could it also have been the wall between ideology and incarnation? The culture they lived in was layered with centuries of prophecy and expectation regarding who the Messiah was supposed to be and what it was all supposed to look like. And yet here they were being confronted with the real truth of that prophecy, that the hope of restoration had moved from words to presence. It wasn't just ideas, it was real. It must have been a healing breaking to hold that child and realize that the words of restoration paled in comparison to the physical presence of restoration. Isn't that what we're hoping for this Advent? The breaking of the wall between ideology and incarnation, from words to real? Unfortunately, we don't get the newborn Christ child in the arms of Mary, but I offer you the image of it because that image points us to the universal truth of restoration, that the invitation is to move from words to presence. Maybe it's our presence that needs to be broken open this Advent. Instead of adding more to our words, to the centuries of expectations of what this is all supposed to do and be, maybe we need to reach out and hold what needs to be restored in our hands, like people or broken hearts or systems or perspectives or beliefs or policies or our dashed hopes for a brighter tomorrow. To finally see what you have hoped for for so long is a breaking experience. Our deepest hope is that God is truly with us in all this. That's what Christmas is meant to celebrate. But could it be that God has been with us all in this already? God has just been waiting for us to move from words to presence so we can join God there. May you believe in the gift of your presence and may you bring that gift of presence to God's ongoing work of restoration. Now I'm just going, going to pray for Karina. So God, thank you so much for Karina. Thank you for all the work that she's put into her message for us this week. And I just pray that you would give her clarity and give us open hearts and open minds. And may we experience more of your presence. Amen. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's Christmas sweater day, so I didn't go halfway. But I have to admit that the, uh, the red lipstick is with the red sweater. It's a bit distracting. So I hope you enjoyed it while it lasted. Now we're left just with, because I got to stare at myself and it's just going to be too much otherwise. So um, welcome here, everybody. Good to be here in week four of Advent. And so um, let this be a warning. This is my honest Advent confession to you. And I hope that we can experience something true together this morning, that we can move from words to presence together, even though we're apart. So I have always loved the theater. 
And it was the church, actually, that gave me my earliest outlet to scratch that performance itch that nothing else could quite reach. I mean, I was salty one year, saltina the next. I see some of you twitching in response. You know what I'm talking about. It was sort of a given that if there was a chance to perform, I would volunteer myself and give everything to whatever role I had. Um, it might be no surprise to you to find out that I was an intense kid. Drama and big solos and soliloquies were not a massive stretch for me. I was the one who got the big soulful solo or that one part that required just a little extra spunk or schutzpah and stage presence to make the part come to life. I loved the theater. There wasn't anything in my opinion, and actually this is still true, there's nothing that a key change or choreography can't fix. So maybe it will make sense to you that when I was in my last year of elementary school and church pageantry in grade seven, I finally landed the role in the Christmas pageant that had eluded me for years. And to say the least, I was perplexed. I was cast as Mary. Yeah, that Mary, the mother of Jesus. <clears throat> the response <laughs> from the critics in the lead up to the performance was less than enthusiastic, as I recall. You, Karina, Mary, was everyone else unavailable? Now, I wasn't a bad kid. I just wasn't the Mary type, apparently. I had opinions. I was loud. I couldn't sit still. I was not the drape myself in a blue curtain and sit quietly holding my silent baby type. I honestly wondered if I could pull it off. I knew I didn't fit the role either, but here I was holding the main female role, the piece de resistance of church pageantry, and I wasn't about to give it up, guys, because actually, I really wanted to be like Mary. I wanted to make Jesus happy with how I was in the world. Maybe, just maybe, if I could be more like Mary, life would be easier. I did my level best to act like Mary and make the directors of the pageant proud. And I'm happy to say I pulled it off. Yeah, I, um, I fooled everyone while I was on stage being all meek and mild while the choir sang, what child is this? No words, no schutzpah, silent and holy, just like they always wanted. My 15 minutes of fame came and went like it did for every girl who played Mary before me. But I picked up some important baggage in that season of my life. The message of how wrong I was as a church girl rooted down deep in the stage of life. Regardless of how I sliced it, I wasn't the Mary type. No matter how much I confessed or repented and tried to silence and smother myself, I just couldn't do it. And I know I'm not the only one who felt like that. I know that there are many women and men who have spent years trying to become this unattainable picture of goodness that God would approve of. So I thought today, maybe we could have a sermon on Mary and her invitation to birthing with God that I needed to hear all those years ago. So if you've ever felt like you were miscast or in the wrong place at the wrong time, 
or missing the mark on all those unspoken milestones and markers and expectations you've thought you were supposed to reach and didn't. This sermon is for you. This sermon is for me. It's for all of us. So, patriarchy. I know I bring this stuff up all the time. And, and let me just say when, when I'm talking about patriarchy, I'm talking about a system of domination that elevates maleness over femaleness, masculine over feminine. It gives privilege and preference to masculine realities and ideals. It hurts and harms women and men. And I know it's a thing to be bringing it up all the time, but here's the deal. If we ignore the cultural realities of patriarchy and, and all of this that the Bible stories were written under, we'll miss it. And we won't be able to undo the elements of it that still persist in our society today. We won't be able to hear the good news story. But hear me clearly, men don't suck. Patriarchy does. And if we don't name it and see it, we end up participating in it by our blindness. So I want to have my eyes wide open so I can deconstruct and reconstruct those narratives I carried with me. It changes how we hear a story when we remember the social structure and cultural elements that went without saying. In their book, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, authors Richard and O'Brien give us this great picture when they say culture is like an iceberg. There's what we see up top that we can point to and explain and avoid. And then there's all the unspoken things underneath that sink ships and wreak havoc. So I'm wanting to remind us what's under the surface and to remind us that those unspoken things there are different than the unspoken things in our here and now. But in that place is often where Jesus and the really, truly good news for everyone is hiding. 12-year-old me needed to hear the story of Mary differently. So sometimes I find that a little paraphrase helps. So I want you to forgive me if this angel that I'm about to do here sounds a little bit Alexis, but this is how I heard the story of Mary's invitation to birthing this time around. So I want you to imagine you're just a nothing girl waiting to get married. And by nothing girl, I'm, I'm not saying you've got bad self-esteem. It's just that all the girls in the world are nothing. To be a girl is to be nothing. There are two things in the world, in the world that, that gave you value as a woman. Well, okay, maybe three. Your relationship and cooperation with men. So as a daughter, as a wife, as a slave, because no matter how low your station was in life, men were always one step better. The next thing that gave you value was your virginity before you're married and your ability to produce sons after. So Mary is this normal nothing girl. Her virginity is actually mentioned twice and her relationship to the man she will belong to are all there before we ever hear her name in Luke chapter one. I think those that heard this first would have kind of experienced nothing to see here when they heard that little introduction. Because I mean, that's how we introduce all women if we ever introduce them at all. In our modern context, we've made Mary's immaculate conception the biggest deal and the greatest point of her story. And I'm not saying that the virgin birth isn't miraculous or that that part isn't important or true. 
but I want us to move beyond the words and to get present with Mary in her time. I want to imagine this from her perspective when it happened, not decades later when it was written or thousands of years later when maybe we've forgotten to look at the story beneath the story. So a retelling. Mary is minding her own normal nothing business when poof, I mean, I assume poof, how else does an angel arrive? So here comes the angel and Gabriel says, who do we have here? You are God's favorite. And Mary is perplexed. Did you know that this word only appears once in the Bible? It's like um, agitated or bothered or troubled. It's kind of like, what? Nothing about this makes sense. Angels don't come and talk to normal nothings. And the angel of God calls her not by her societal value, virgin, or her marital value, Joseph's virgin, but by her name. God knows her name. I just want to say he knows yours too. So Gabriel says, Mary, you really are God's favorite. It's your lucky day right now, like this minute. If you're up for it, you will get pregnant and, and it will be a boy. And he will be the one that your people have been praying and waiting for, for like your whole life, generations actually. He's going to be like a really big deal. Oh, and I'm just telling you first, but you're going to want to name him Jesus because he will save the world. And what Mary does next is downright amazing. Don't miss it. She says, okay, I'm down with the plan, except one problem. How are we going to do this? I mean, I don't know everything, but I do know I'm a virgin. And Gabriel says, don't worry. God will make it happen. He will overshadow you. What does that mean? It means he's going to overshadow you. Right. So what does that mean? It just means like, if you say overshadow one more time, okay, it will, it will basically be unexplainable, but it will happen. You'll be pregnant and it'll be obvious. You're going to look pregnant to like everybody, but you will be growing God's son in your body. And, and Hey, also speaking of people who shouldn't get pregnant, Elizabeth, your cousin yeah, the one who's like so old, she's having a baby. You should totally go visit her because honestly, neither of you have any business being pregnant. So you can, you know, like talk. It's going to be so great. I would love this journey for you, Mary. So this summary, my overactive imagination aside, is so loaded with cultural grenades. What if... The invitation is for Mary to embrace scandal and let go of her public perception as an obedient virgin. To have to trust completely the truth growing inside of her that makes her look like a liar to everyone around her. That's a gutsy move. She throws away any status that she had left, but she gets it. The kingdom of God is about to show up in your body, Mary, in your female, broken, 
marginalized and discounted body. It's a birthing invitation to disrupt the status quo. She consents to being an active participant with the presence of God in her. And with that consent, she's going to look like she's pregnant and unmarried. It will look like she's been disobedient and dishonorable. And it will look like she has no value. It will create an impossible situation. But Mary has been paying attention to all those stories about God, who did impossible things throughout the history of her people. So she says yes to the impossible. She finishes off this part of the story by placing herself in the care and trust of God when she says, I belong to God now. Let's get this show on the road. Like, remember at this point, nowhere is she promised a husband. She's not promised people will ever believe her. And she says yes to the gossip, to others imagining the sound of skeletons rattling in her closet. That's Mary. You know about her. But she could see what God was up to. Almost like there was this joy set before her that gave her the faith, the trust, and the chutzpah to say yes. As far as the world was concerned, Mary was not right for the part. This is good news to my too loud, overly earnest, opinionated 12-year-old self. I think that God is inviting us into our own impossible birth stories all the time. Maybe it's not about being the best or the most acceptable or getting everything right. Maybe it's about giving your vulnerable, authentic, and honest yes to the audacious incarnation of God with us, growing in you, growing in me, growing in us together. So we're going to take a look at the actual text in Luke. <laughs> you can breathe a sigh of relief. And I want us just to take all of these cultural reminders and the goofy prayer of paraphrased retelling and I give you permission to notice Mary and all the things the story reveals without saying them. Things she didn't need. Things she did need. Both of which may have been culturally significant or not. But I'm curious, what do you hear? What is the story telling us without saying a word? So if something pops out for you, if you notice something, as Kathy reads for us, would you please write it in the comments? I want us to gather ideas here together. Let's notice together. Kathy, would you read, please? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting might this be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. 
he will be great and he will be called son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy and he will be called son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son for this is a sixth month for her who is said to be barren. And then Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Thanks so much, Kathy. So what did you notice? What did she need? What did she not need? I'm just going to give you a minute to think about that. Maybe share some things in the comments. Here's some things that I noticed. In order for Mary to play her part, in order for her to be qualified, in order for her to be who God wanted, she didn't need a man. She did not need a marriage. She did not need permission. She did not need coercion. She did not need a script. She did not need to be silent. She didn't need precedence. She didn't need approval. She didn't need to know everything, but she did need her questions answered. She did need to speak. She did need to be bold. She did need to give her consent. She did need her female body. She did need to be encouraged. She did need to let go. She needed to trust. She needed to believe. She needed to empty herself. She needed to be filled. She needed to say yes. Mary's yes changed everything for her and for us. She invited us with her yes to a new table. Her unqualified but unreserved yes upends the tables of oppression and hierarchy and coercion. She invites us to join her at the table of God. God who makes the tables in the wilderness, the wild and untamed places that we've been told we can't go. God makes streams in the desert where we've been told there is no water. God uses worthless dirt and mud to make blind people see. He binds up the brokenhearted when they've been written off as barren and worthless. God sets the captives free through the voice of a pregnant virgin who said, I have a song to sing and I won't be silent. It turns out 12 year old me wasn't as miscast as I thought because I said yes. And Mary taught me that's enough for the impossible to happen. So what are you gonna do with your one wild and precious life? Do we dare 
to insert ourselves into God's story as we are. You are God's favorite. Your humanity and all its imperfection and frailty and problems and mistakes and bodiliness are not roadblocks. They're pathways to experiencing and co-creating and partnering with God. God with us. God with our bodies. God with our sickness. God with our proclivities and habits and limitations. Our willing yes is what creates a womb where the goodness of God can grow, stretch, transform, travail, and bring about this new kingdom where everybody belongs. So as our season of Advent closes, only a few more days to go, I want to invite you to say yes to the whole thing. Say yes to the waiting where we grow and change and stretch and hope and wonder how this will all come to pass, where we ponder things in our hearts to keep us going when things get tough. Say yes to accepting, where we let go of what we thought was essential and pick up things we never knew we needed. Accepting is where we become settled that things will not be the same and maybe that's good. Say yes to the journeying, where we practice togethering and where we learn to trust that our humanity is the best thing we have to offer God and one another. And finally, God invites all of us to say yes to the complicated mess of birthing, where the impossible thing we've trusted God for becomes real. And we see the glory of God among us, in us, and through us. May it be unto all of us as God invites us and speaks to us. Amen.